The title of this sermon this morning is Prayer for Spiritual Growth. Prayer for Spiritual Growth. Years ago, Stephen Furtick gave a message in which he told his congregation at Elevation Church, if you know Jesus, I'm sorry to break it to you, this church is not for you. He then goes on to talk about those who gave their life to Jesus the week before him giving that message. To which he responds, last week was the last week that Elevation Church existed for you. And the reason he's telling them this is because he's arguing that the whole purpose of the church is to preach Jesus and do what he calls kingdom multiplication. He then goes on to tell them that if they need the doctrines of grace as defined by John Calvin to excite them, he says this, quote, you in the wrong church. He goes on, let me get a phone book. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face until you are so obese spiritually that you can't even move. Friends, that man is not a pastor. That man is not someone who cares for the spiritual life and the spiritual growth of believers. He's not a pastor. He's not a shepherd. He doesn't understand the purpose of the church. And the Apostle Paul would sit that man down and give him a long talk about the purpose of the church. You see, the Apostle Paul knows the purpose of the church. He understands what the purpose of the church is. And he has a pastor's heart. A pastor's heart for the church. And specifically for the church that is at Philippi. And it's reflected in his prayer for them as we are going to see here in Philippians chapter 1. As we've been working our way through Paul's prayer in verses 3-11, through this morning we come to the second part of his prayer. And this is his prayer request for the spiritual growth of believers in Philippi. We saw in verses 3-8 through his prayer of thanksgiving and joy for the believers that are there. And now we come to his petition for them. And specifically his prayer for them to grow spiritually. That's his heart. That is his desire for them. And that is the desire of every true pastor. So let me read our passage for us beginning in verse 9. Follow along as I read for us in Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. Paul says this, and, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now in these three verses, we're going to see four areas of spiritual growth as Paul prays for these believers. Four areas of spiritual growth. We're going to see his prayer for their growth in love, for their growth in discernment, for their growth in integrity, and for their growth in righteousness or right living. And all of this that Paul prays for them, notice there at the end of verse 11, he says, to the glory and praise of God. All of this, this spiritual growth that he prays for, that he desires for the church at Philippi, is all to bring glory and praise and honor to God. 
Now, why does Paul pray like this for the Philippian believers? Why does he pray like this? Well, it's because of his deep desire for them. As he says, notice in verse 7 there, he says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. They were close to his heart. He loved them. He had them in his heart. And his desire and his prayer for them is that they would grow spiritually. He didn't want to kick them out of the church. He isn't praying that they would do kingdom multiplication. He prays that they would grow spiritually. That's his heart for them. That's his desire for them. Now what is amazing is that Paul is writing Scripture for us here, right? This is inspired Scripture. It's inspired by God. And so this this prayer that he gives for the believers there in Philippi is not just a prayer and a desire for them. But this is a prayer and the desire of God Himself for us as believers. Because this is inspired Scripture. This is written by the Spirit of God. And so although it's being penned by the Apostle Paul, as Paul prays this, this is the very heart of God for us. Just as Paul prays for the Philippian believers here, we can take this passage as divinely inspired Scripture to say that this is not just a letter for the Philippian believers only. But this is also for us. This is for us, church. This is, as as God's word to us, God's desire and God's heart for us. God wants us to grow in love, in discernment, in integrity, and in right living so that we might bring glory and honor and praise to His name. Because that's that's really the whole purpose of this life anyways, right? To bring glory and honor to the name of Christ. That's why we're here. That's our purpose on earth is to bring glory to God. And how can we do that? Well, Paul tells us here in this passage, the first thing that he prays for there is that they would grow in love. That they would grow in love. Look again at verse 9. He says this, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now, notice that word at the beginning of verse 9, and. You see that there? And. That word is a connective word. He's moving from his prayer of joyful thanksgiving for them in verses 3 through 8 now to the content or the substance of his prayer. It's connective there. He's connecting what he prayed before, his prayer that's reflected there before, now to the content and the substance of his prayer for them. And so he says, And this I pray. This I pray. I pray there in the Greek is in the present tense. Meaning this is an ongoing nature. It's the ongoing nature of the way that he prays for them when Paul does pray for them. His constant prayer for them is that they would grow spiritually. When Paul gets on his knees and bows before the Lord in prayer, when he prays for them, he is constantly praying for the church's spiritual growth. Notice that Paul doesn't pray for material or physical needs, for success or or blessing. Lord, just bless them. He doesn't pray that. What does he pray for? He prays for their spiritual needs. He prays for their spiritual needs. You see, in in modern day Christianity, there is a lot of shallow prayers. A lot of shallow prayers. Prayers that focus on only the physical and they don't ever move to the spiritual. 
Prayers that focus on the the physical safety and and the health of people, but they miss out on the spiritual health of people. But when Paul prayed, although there were surely some physical needs in Philippi, especially as we see in verse 29, you can turn over there to verse 29, let me read this for you. In verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Do you think there were physical needs in the church of Philippi? Of course there were. They're suffering physically for Christ. But notice Paul doesn't pray for their physical needs. What does he pray for? Their spiritual needs. He focuses on their spiritual needs. You see, he was a man who knew what mattered most in life. Paul knew what mattered most in life. Now, I'm not saying here that it's wrong to pray for physical needs. Not saying that it's wrong to do that. Physical needs, physical healing. But sadly, that's where a lot of Christian prayer starts, and that's where it ends. It ends with the physical needs, and it doesn't ever get to the spiritual needs of others. And so we have a lot to learn from Paul as a Man of prayer. We need to be people who are praying for the spiritual needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. For the spiritual needs of others. And think about how much stronger the church would be if people began to pray for the spiritual needs of others. Think about how much stronger the church would be. It would be a lot stronger because it would show that we care about spiritual matters, right? We're a church that cares about the spiritual needs of people. Their spiritual growth. Not just about physical things. Not just about a building. We can pray for a building that's good. But pray for the spiritual needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we must be doing. A lot of Christians, they only pray for physical matters because that is what the focus of their heart is. It's only on physical things. Listen, you can tell a lot about a person's heart and desires based upon the content of their prayers. You can tell a lot about a person's heart and desires based upon the content of their prayers. One commentator says this, Behind each of our requests is a desire. We often pray only for physical or material needs. Why? We believe that health and material things will bring us happiness. But Paul knew that the most important thing for believers is spiritual growth. That we need to grow spiritually. And that's what he prayed for as he prayed for the Philippian believers. And specifically, he prayed for their growth in love. That they would be growing in love. He goes on there in verse 9, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. That word love there in the Greek is the word agape. Agape. This is agape love. And what Paul has in mind here is true biblical love that comes from God. It's true biblical love. Let me give you some some aspects of what true biblical love is. First, true biblical love is divine love. True biblical love is divine love. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Love is from God. Now, I've been telling you the last couple of weeks that an unbeliever cannot have joy in their lives, right? They cannot have true joy in their lives. They can have happiness based upon the circumstances that they're in. They're going to be happy, they're going to be sad, but they cannot experience joy. Unbelievers can't. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on it goes. And so that's something that is only produced in us by the Spirit of God. True joy is something that we can have as believers because it's produced in us by God's Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And the same is true with love. Unbelievers don't know true love. They don't know true love. They don't have true love. In fact, the world says that love is something that is sentimental or emotional. That's all it is. It's some emotional feeling that you have for someone else. That's that's how the world defines love. But true biblical love is divine love that is from God and is also a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's listed first in that list of the, the fruit of the Spirit. And it can only come by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. John goes on in 1 John 4. In 1 John 4 19, he says, We love because He loved first. He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. And His love for us was displayed in sending Christ to come and die on a cross for our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that you and I loved Him, He loved us. And the only way that we can have true biblical agape love is by being a true child of God. By being born again, having the Holy Spirit in us, who then produces this love in our hearts. True biblical love is divine love. Love that comes from God. And love that is produced in us by God through His Spirit. That's true biblical love. And so not only is it divine love, but it's also selfless love. It is selfless love. True biblical love is selfless love. You see, the only one who truly deserves our love is who? God. He's the only one. The only one that truly deserves our love. And so we love Him because He deserves it. But in our our human relationships, although no one deserves our love, True biblical love is selfless love that loves another person without any kind of merits attached. Without looking for anything in return. True biblical love is selfless love. Remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, He said this in Matthew Chapter 5 and verse 43, he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He goes on and he says this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Sinners? Isn't that the kind of love they have? (laughs) Love my enemies? Love those who don't love me back? But my enemies don't deserve my love. I mean, Lord, they want to kill me. They want to take me out. And I'm supposed to love them? Yes, you are. Because that is true biblical love. It's selfless love. It's love that is concerned for the well-being of another person. 
And it's that kind of love that will draw an enemy to Christ, right? That love, that when you love your enemy, it's that love that will draw an enemy to Christ. They'll look at us and say, why? Why do they love me? Why are they treating me like this? I don't love them. I hate them. Why do they do that? And we're able to witness to them to say it's because of what Christ has done in my heart. Let me tell you about Christ. Point them to Christ. That love will draw them to Christ. You see, if we only love those who deserve our love, then we would hardly ever love other people. Hardly ever. Why? Well, if we think about this, who would be the one to set the standard for my love? I would be, right? I'm the one who sets the standard for my love. And does everyone always treat me the way that I think they should treat me? No. They don't. And so if it was based upon my standards and them deserving my love, I would hardly love others at all. But love isn't based upon self. True love is selfless. Dr. Stuart Scott defines true love like this. A selfless and enduring commitment of the will to care about and benefit another person by righteous, truthful, and compassionate thoughts, words, and actions. He goes on and says, true love has no ulterior motive to only benefit self. True love is always thinking of the other person. True love is like God's love. It seeks the benefit of someone else with no strings attached. That's true biblical love. And so, true love is divine love, and it is selfless love. True love is also a choice. It is decisive love. It's decisive love, where I have to choose to love that other person. It's choosing to love another person whether they deserve my love or not. You'll hear people in the world say things like, well, we're getting a divorce because uh, I just don't love her anymore. Well, it's because your love was not true love in the first place. Your love was all based upon emotions and feelings and, and physical attraction. Because that's what worldly love is. But true love is a choice. It's choosing to love that other person, whether they deserve it or not. It's a choice to love my spouse, even when they say something hurtful to me, or when they sin against me. It's choosing to love them. As Dr. Stewart said, it's a commitment of the will. It's a commitment of my will to decide I am going to love that person. I will decide to love that person no matter what the circumstances are. I will choose to love them and seek their good and their benefit even if they don't deserve it. And think about this. Do any of us deserve God's love? None of us deserves God's love. None of us do. We haven't done a single thing in our lives to deserve God's love. None of us has. And that's what makes the gospel so great, right? That God would choose to love us, sinful people, wretched people, who have sinned against a righteous and holy God, and for Him to send His only Son to die on a cross for our sins, to be buried and rise again on the third day, out of a heart of love for us, sinners. 
That's the best news ever. God has chosen to love us. As Dr. John Street said at the Biblical Counseling Conference last week, the only thing that we deserve is to burn in hell forever. Do you realize that, church? That is the only thing that you and I deserve. Is to burn in hell forever. But God has chosen to love us. He's chosen to love us. He chose to send His Son to die on a cross for us. He chose to grant us the free gift of salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. God chose to love you and I. True biblical love is a choice. It's a choice that we make in our minds, in our will, to love that other person. That is the kind of love that we're to have and the kind of love that we're to grow in. Divine, selfless, and decisive love. Now, did the Philippian believers have this kind of love? Did they have this kind of love? Of course they did. They had this kind of love. Didn't Paul just commend them for their participation in the gospel with him and being partakers of grace with him? We just saw that in verses 3 through 8. The Philippian believers, what did they, what did they do? They just sent a, a love gift with Epaphroditus to Paul as Paul is there in Rome in chains. They loved him. He knew that they had this kind of love. That they were choosing to love him. It was a divine love. It was a selfless love. As they sacrificially gave out of what they had to give to Paul so that Paul could be taken care of. They had true biblical love. And Paul had love for them. True biblical love for them. They were near and dear to his heart. He longed for them with the affections of Jesus Christ. He's not here telling them that they need to begin to have this kind of love, but that even though they possess this kind of love as children of God, they can still grow in this love. And we should understand that we can always grow in our love as well. They had true biblical love. And Paul tells them you need to grow in it more and more. We have true biblical love here. But church, we can continue to grow in that love. Notice again what Paul says there in verse 7. That your love may abound still more and more. Now, this is interesting because Paul knows that they already have love. He knows that. But he understands that love is not something that is static. It's not something that you possess and then think that you've arrived. But love is a process. It's something that you and I continue to grow in. Paul knew that there was always room to grow in the believer's life. We are positionally secure and sanctified in Christ, right? Positional sanctification. We have been saved. But there's always room for progressive sanctification. For growing in Christ-likeness. No one has arrived this side of heaven. And no one ever will. Never. And so he prays for the Philippian believers that their love may abound still more and more. I love what one commentator says about this. He says this, The expression builds layer upon layer to make the point. More would suffice. More and more was better, but still more and more accentuated the point being made. That's what Paul says there in verse 9. That you may abound still more and more.
More would suffice. More and more was better, but still more and more accentuated the point that Paul is making here, that you can always continue to grow and grow more and more in your love. Paul's prayer for them was that their love would continue to increase, to grow, and to grow to the point of overflowing. It's as if love were a river, and that river just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. But this this river of love, it also needs some banks. It needs some guidelines. You see, true biblical love has guidelines. Notice what he says there towards the end of verse 9. In real knowledge and all discernment. In real knowledge and all discernment. You see, true love is not uncontrolled love. True love is not uncontrolled love. But there are guidelines that we need to have in order to practice true love. And these guidelines are knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Now what's interesting is that Paul pits knowledge and love against each other in 1 Corinthians 8.1 where he says this, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Some translations say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's interesting. Paul pits these two against each other there. And so we might say, well, then why do we need knowledge if it just puffs us up? Don't we only need love? Some of you know that song. All we need is love. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Knowledge in and of itself can become an idol that will puff us up. That's what he's saying there. Knowledge does puff up. When it's all about knowledge and knowledge becomes an idol in our lives, then yes, we will become prideful and we will puff ourselves up. But true knowledge, when it is accompanied with love, will actually cultivate more and more love in our lives. Think about it this way. If you only have love, all you have is sentimentalism. Just a bunch of feelings. And you will love only if you feel like it. Which probably wouldn't be too often. Because no one deserves my love. No one's done enough to deserve my love. And so we need knowledge along with that love so that we then know how to love properly. As A.W. Pink says, he says, love requires instructing. Love requires instructing. Let me give you an illustration of this. Turn over with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is... Peter here instructing wives, the beginning of chapter 3, and then he moves on in verse 7 to instruct the husbands. And notice in 1 Peter 3 in verse 7, he says this, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, notice this in in the middle of verse 7 there. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. You see that there? An understanding way. That phrase there, understanding way, in the Greek is katagonosis, meaning this, according to knowledge. Live with your wives according to knowledge. Knowledge of what, Peter? Knowledge of her. Knowledge of her. He's saying, get to know her. 
Get to know your wife. Get to know her desires and her goals and her frustrations and her likes and her dislikes. You need to know what makes her tick. And as you do that, you will then be able to respond with true love for her. If you know that your wife hates flowers or is allergic to flowers, and you show up with flowers to tell her that you love her, you really don't love her. Yeah, but flowers is the way that that I say I love. You don't know her. You don't have true love for her. You don't have love according to knowledge. Your love is not being guided by your knowledge. But listen, true love is always based upon knowledge. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and look at verse 1. This is now speaking about love for God. Peter tells us about love for a wife. Paul now in Romans chapter 10 is going to talk about love for God. Look what he says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. He's talking about the Jews, about the Jewish people. My prayer to God for them is for their salvation. But notice what he says in verse 2. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. These Jews have a zeal for God. But they don't have true love for God because it's not in accordance with knowledge. What were the Jews doing at this time? The Jews were killing Christians. Persecuting Christians. Think about Paul before he was saved. What was he doing? He was persecuting Christians in the name of God. He was a a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he didn't have the knowledge of the gospel. And although he and the other Jews had a zeal for God, that zeal meant nothing because the zeal was not in accordance with knowledge, with the truth of the gospel. And they could claim to have love for God all day while they're persecuting Christians and their love is not true love for God. We see this in many churches today who claim to love God and to worship God, but then they are ordaining homosexual pastors. They don't love God. They don't. They don't love God. How do we know? Because they aren't acting in accordance with what God has revealed in His Word. They are not acting in accordance with knowledge. With the revealed truth. They don't really love God. Because true love is always acting in accordance with real knowledge, with the truth of God's Word. And you can't claim to love God and go against His Word. You don't really love Him. What did Jesus say? If you love Me, you will what? Keep My commandments. You'll keep My Word. Show Me that you love Me by keeping My Word. But when you know God's Word and you go against God's Word... Although you can say all day long, I love God, I love God, you really don't. True love is also not blind love. As one commentator says, love is not blind, love is bound. Love is bound. 
And what is it bound by? Real knowledge. Love is bound by real knowledge or full knowledge. Not some impulsive emotion, but experiential love that is controlled by the truth. Our love must be controlled by the truth. True love doesn't just need to know to serve others, but true love needs to know how to serve others. True love needs to be informed on how we are to act toward others in order to show them love. You see, true love is controlled love. And the more that we grow in our knowledge of God and His Word, the greater our love will be for Him and for others as we live according to the knowledge that God has revealed in His Word. One commentator says, Love controlled by God's Word is deep. Deep. Anchored in convictions based upon the truth. And when we act according to what God calls us to do in His Word, out of a heart of love, that, friends, is true biblical love. Well, let's go back to our passage in Philippians 1 and look at the end of verse 9. Not only is true love guided by real knowledge, but notice it is also guided by discernment. By discernment. If we were to think of love as a river that's flowing, there's one bank on one side that is real knowledge, and on the other side it is discernment. The word in the the Greek there is Aesthesis, and it means the capacity to understand or discern. This is the only place in the whole New Testament it is used. But it carries with it the idea of perception, and specifically spiritual perception. It has the idea of being able to discern moral matters. Knowing right from wrong, good from evil. Whereas knowledge is more of an intellectual awareness, discernment here has to do with the right application of that knowledge. What we would call wisdom. It's practicing wisdom. It's gaining knowledge and then knowing how to apply that knowledge in our lives. You see, in in order... For us to grow in true biblical love, not only must we grow in our knowledge of God's Word, but we also must grow in our discernment. We must grow in our discernment, in our application of the knowledge that we gain from God's Word. One commentator says it this way, Your love is controlled by your theology and your insight in the application of that theology. Let me give you an example of this. I read about a pastor this week who had a man come to his church looking for a place to stay. The pastor told the man that they supported the union mission and that he could take the man over to the mission so that the man could have a place to stay. This man responded by telling the pastor that no, he needed a private room. He needed a private room. The pastor told him he'll take him to the mission, but that was the best that he could do for him. To which the man responded with this, I thought that Christians were supposed to love. How would you respond? If someone came, if this man came and said that to you, I thought that Christians were supposed to love. Here's how the pastor responded. He said, we are, but we're not supposed to be suckers. 
discernment. Discernment. The pastor went on to say that this made the man angry and violent, and they actually had to call the police, and they had to come and arrest him and take him to jail. That's how bad he wanted his private room from the church. What did this pastor do? He practiced discernment. And you might think, well, how rude of that pastor to do that. I mean, just give the guy the private room. Isn't that the loving thing to do? But what this pastor did was actually the loving thing to do. How is it loving? What does God's word say about a man who won't work? He shall not eat, right? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 What that pastor did was a loving thing for that man. This pastor explains, feeding and putting up a person who is too lazy to work does not help them. Do you know what God's cure is for slothfulness? Hunger. That's God's cure. That, friends, right there is theology in action. That is theology and the application of theology. That is knowledge and discernment. And when you have true knowledge and you have dis- true discernment, you are actually truly loving. And what that pastor did for that man was the loving thing. He showed love to that man. He was willing to help him. That pastor practiced discernment. And look, Paul knew that in order for the Philippian believers to grow in love, it must be done in the sphere of knowledge and discernment. You can't have true biblical love without knowledge and discernment. Otherwise, you just have a bunch of sentimentalism of people who think they're loving, but in reality, they aren't. In closing, do I want to feed you with the knowledge of God's Word? I do. I do. Do I want to help you grow in discernment? Of course I do. Because in order for us to be loving Christians and to go spiritually as believers with the ultimate goal of bringing glory and praise and honor to God, it's not going to happen by kicking you out of the church or telling you this church isn't for you. That's not what a true pastor does. A true pastor cares for the spiritual welfare of his flock just as Paul cared for the Philippian believers by praying for their spiritual growth. He loved them and he desired for them to grow in love. To grow spiritually in love. And he knew that the only way that they were going to see spiritual growth in their lives was by feeding them God's Word, by feeding them the truth, and then encouraging them to put those truths into practice. And friends, that is my prayer for you as well. That you would continue to grow in knowledge and discernment. Look, we are a loving church. I hear the testimonies all the time. I went to Faith Bible Church and I was loved. And I say, I I know you were loved. (laughs) Because we are a, a loving people. We love people. But may 
our love abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. That's my prayer for us, that we would continue to grow in our love. Well, there are three more areas of growth that Paul prays for. Discernment, integrity, and righteous living, but we'll look at those next time. Will you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word and the knowledge that we gain from it. Father, I pray that our knowledge would never become an idol that would puff us up, but that we would use the knowledge that we gain from your word to serve you and to bring glory and honor to your name. And Father, I pray that as we grow in our knowledge of you through your word, that we would also grow in discernment as well. To be discerning believers. And that as we grow in our knowledge and discernment, Lord, that we would then be those who would practice true biblical love. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown upon us. We thank you for your sovereign choice in calling us, in electing us before the foundation of the world. You chose to save us. Father, we know that none of us here deserves your love. Father, we are so grateful for it. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here this morning that has not received your love, the true saving love of you. Those who are here that don't know what true biblical love is because they don't know you. Father, I pray that you would convict them of their sin that they would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin, and that they would receive the love of the gospel, the truth of the gospel that you offer to them. Father, may you do your work in their hearts, and may you grow us, sanctify us, and cause us to be children who would grow more and more in our love for you, and our love for each other as we grow in knowledge and discernment. All for your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.